um, well, we're going to continue uh, the the series Religion. We're actually ending it this morning. Have you guys enjoyed this series, Religion, so far? Yeah, it's been cool. It's been fun for me. Not just the play on words, although I'm a sucker for a good pun. Um, I I've really enjoyed um, kind of going over this and and look and. and challenging myself, you know, about how, how much is my faith about me? How, how much is my spirituality, my church attendance, my spiritual disciplines, all these different things, how much of it is really about me, not about the Lord, not about others? And so this has been good for, for me as well. This week we are finishing things off with part four, my redemption, not redemption, redemption. And so just for, um, just for some, uh, some review here. Uh, we're going to go over what we've been doing here during this series. If you, hey, Will, if you can get my clicker working, buddy. Oh, I got set wrong. All right, just go forward for me, if you will. So, me religion, not religion. Me religion um, is where a person's religion focuses only on themselves and their spiritual disciplines. Your spiritual disciplines are how you practice your faith. They cater only to their own needs. Okay, that's what we're defining me religion as, is where your your religion focuses only on yourself. And so we we've we've discovered um, that we this can show up in different ways. Uh, the next slide is about worshiping Mises. That was our second week, worshiping Mises. It's when you become your own God. Instead of worshiping Jesus, you're worshiping Mises. And we looked at the Israelites and how uh, they had, you know, the golden calf and all that good stuff. Um, and idolatry says that I believe this person or this thing can do a better job satisfying the longings of my heart than God can. Uh, and many times we place ourselves on the throne of our heart. And we let ourselves be the focus of our spiritual attention when it needs to be the Lord. And we discover that you recognize and you repent and you replace is how we get rid of those idols. And then last week we talked about the Meatitudes. The Meatitudes are the thought patterns that result in living a me-ligious life. Unlike the Beatitudes that Jesus shared, the Meatitudes are things like this. Someone else will handle it. I don't have anything to give. What difference can I make anyway? Or I have to take care of me first, right? We've all thought those things at different times, right? And so that's what, um, that's what the me attitudes are, and we don't, we don't want to be like that. So um, this morning, we're going to talk about me-demption, my me-demption. Now, this is obviously a play on the words redemption, and so we need to go over what redemption is. Now, to redeem something... To redeem something is to set it free by paying a price. Just simply the definition of the word redeem is to set something free by paying a price. Okay, And there are actually um, three Greek words that are used to describe redemption in the Bible. Okay, The first one, now just let me just say this. Many of you know the New Testament was written in Greek, right? It was written in Greek. And so many times we like to go back and study the actual Greek words that make up the inspired word of God, okay? And so I know these Greek word studies aren't for everyone. I get that. And you want to check out and you're like, I didn't come here to go to school, Jamie. And I, I feel you. But I don't care. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I didn't care. But, but we do want you to understand fully uh, what the word's saying. So we're going to go over these three Greek words, okay? First of all, 
the first one is pronounced agorazo. Agorazo, it's Greek, and it means to buy something. It just simply means to buy something, all right? It means an exchange. Now, you guys have done this. If, have you ever redeemed a coupon? Okay, so you, you cut the little coupon out, and, and I don't know why they don't perforate those things. I'm always cutting, like tearing, trying to tear them and tearing through the coupon and all that kind of stuff. And, and you, you, you redeem it for a certain amount off of what you're buying. Or maybe buy one, get one free. How many of the, the, uh, the crazy coupon ladies do we have here? I love y'all. Yeah, absolutely. You've got, you've got cupboards filled with stuff that, you, you know. I'm basically, I'm going to come, if the world ends, Armageddon happens, I'm going to come to your house. Because you've got plenty of mashed potatoes for years and years. So <clears throat> that's awesome. So I'm going to be at your house um, when, uh, during the zombie apocalypse, I guess. So, um, so we've all redeemed coupons, right? So it's an exchange. All right, you've bought things before. Uh, this what this word agarazzo means. It means to just simply to buy something, okay? Um, and, and so the, the key to buying something, whether you go to Walmart or Publix or, or whatever, you're buying something off eBay, the payment has to be pr- proportionate to the value. So you, you pay something, you pay for whatever that thing is worth, okay? And so that's what this word means. And these, all three of these Greek words are used to explain the Christian concept of redemption through Jesus. If, if you'll look at 1 Corinthians 6.20... 1 Corinthians 6.20, <clears throat> you'll see this first word Agarazzo used. It says, for God bought you with a high price. God bought you with a high price. Therefore, you must honor God with your body. Now, it's a whole section on sexual immorality that they're talking about here. But, but the Apostle Paul who wrote this is saying, look, God purchased you. He paid for you. He redeemed you. Um, the word here is agarazzo, and he has bought you, okay? He has exchange- given something so that he might acquire you. You've been bought. You've been bought. And so that's what it means when, we, uh, when we're talking about redemption. The second word here, the second word here is ex agarazzo. Ex agarazzo. So it's the same word, but it's got an X in front of it. And that, that prefix means out. It means out. And so this means to, uh, to acquire something to you, uh, and to acquire and use something for a new purpose. To acquire and use something for a new purpose. So turn to Galatians chapter 4, verse 5. Galatians chapter 4, verse 5. Well, well, actually, we'll start with verse 4 here. It says, But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. Verse 5, God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his own very children. Okay? So here we see there's a purchase, there's an exchange, but it's different because it's, you are, you are, uh, something has been bought so that it might become something else. It's, you're, we, we've been repurposed, okay? So when, when God bought us, we were slaves to the law, okay? When God bought us, he had acquired us, but now he's going to use us for a different purpose, and that different purpose is that we become children of God. So we once were slaves, and now we are children. So we've been bought, but we've been bought 
out of where we were and repurposed for a different use. This, are you following me? So you see how this word works, okay? So, um, and we, you know, um, this was the word that was used, um, you know, if, uh, if someone, because it's hard for us to imagine now, but for centuries and centuries, humans have been bought and sold all over the world. Uh, and and the, the culture in which uh, Jesus grew up in, in Israel, they had been forbidden to do that. Um, but, but areas very near them, uh, humans were bought and sold as property. Now, what they did have in Jesus' culture was, was kind of an indentured servitude where if you couldn't pay your debts, you would, you would work. You would basically be a slave uh, or an indentured servant until you could work off your debt. Okay? And during that time, you were considered the property of your owner. Um, and so, but, but the word that would be used um, during, you know, when you, when you purchase someone uh, from the slave trade and then put them to work would be this exagorata. You took them out, out from one purpose and you put them to work in another purpose. And that's who we are. Th- those of us who believe in Jesus, that's who we are. We've been given purpose. And one of the I think highlights and, and, and hallmarks of this church is that we just don't want you to be a pew warmer. Even though we don't have pews. Uh, we want you, we want you to, to be someone that fulfills the call of God in your life. That, that, that gets, gets to work. That, that does things. That, that takes the good that God has deposited in you and, and gives it to those all around you. We believe that it's not just uh, the pastors or the staff of the church that do the work of the ministry. Amen, hallelujah, right? I'm, I'm coach. I'm coach. I get to hear from the Lord and say, Lord, what are we doing? What's a VFC up to? What do you want for us? But then I'm not the one that does it all. You guys get to do it. You guys get to partner with what God is doing, okay? And so we have been acquired by the Lord and repurposed. For his glory. Amen? Amen. The third word here uh, is pronounced lutron. I know it's got a Y, but it's pronounced lutron here. And it means to pay the ransom and to set something free. To pay a ransom. Now, you guys know a ransom is, is um, the amount required for something else's freedom. Okay? Um, normally, if we think of a ransom, you think of like a kidnapping or something where, where a child has been stolen or taken and then the parents are called and, you know, with a weird robotic voice, the person you know, requests a million dollars or whatever. And the ransom has to be paid in order to release um, that child. And so that word is used here. Um, Jesus is actually talking about himself and he says, he says, the son of man, which was a name he referred to himself as, came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life a ransom. There's that word, a ransom for many. All right, so see, here's what's interesting. Redemption requires something that's being purchased, someone who is purchasing, and some sort of currency to purchase with. Are you following me? So in our redemption, our redemption, we are the thing that's being purchased. The Father is the one that's purchasing us. And the blood of Jesus, Jesus himself, is the currency used to buy us. 
This is the Christian concept of redemption. And it's summed up really well, well in this next verse. I'll have it on the slide um, behind me here. It's Ephesians 1, 7. It says, He, God, the Father, is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his Son and forgave our sins. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? In the New King James Version, it says, In him we have redemption. And there's that word redemption that we've been talking about. Okay? So, and let me just say this. I know sometimes we talk about the Father and we talk about the Son. And the Father's like the big old meanie up in heaven. And we just can't really understand him. And he's kind of mean. And, but Jesus is all sweet and good. We're like, yay, Jesus. You know, we like Jesus. Protect us from your dad, Jesus. He's bad. He's mean. But here we see the Father is so rich in kindness and grace. Don't ever confuse the justice of God that's demonstrated in the Old Testament as God being mean or unfair or cruel. Jesus is the fullest expression of the Father's heart. God is good. God is good. He is trustworthy. He is faithful. And he was so rich in kindness, rich in kindness and grace. God just doesn't have a little bit of kindness and grace. He is rich, right? Now, if I had $100, that's great, isn't it? 100 bucks is great. But would, would I be rich? Not really. My kids think they're rich when they have $100. They start strutting around, $100. Yeah. Benjamins. But no, that's, even though it's great, we, $100 is wonderful, right? But that's not exactly rich. You would want to have hundreds or even thousands or even millions of $100 bills before we would consider, no, that dude right there is rich. What am I saying? I'm saying God is rich in kindness. He doesn't just have a little bit of it. He is rich in grace. He doesn't just have enough to qualify for being called having grace, for, for, being, for that being said about him. He's got a ton of it. He's got way more than he needs. Okay? And so the Father is good. The Father is good. He purchased our freedom. He has redeemed us. He has redeemed us by the blood of his Son. Isn't that awesome? Well, here's the thing. We tend to mess this up. In the next slide here, we're going to talk about me-demption. Me-demption is to attempt to make up for your sin by being good. Me-demption is where you try to be. Remember, you need something that's being purchased. You need a purchaser and you need currency. So in me-demption, you, your good works become the currency that you feel God needs in order to purchase you as his son. Do you follow? Okay? So, redemption is where we look to ourselves as our own currency. And we do think, we, we try to be good. We, you know, these are things like going to church. We think, you know, I, I, man, I, I really should go to church because God's going to get mad at me if I don't. Well, look, I love you being here at church. I'm, I'm glad you're here. Like, seriously. Because it's awesome because I know you're investing in yourself spiritually. But God was happy with you before you came to church. God's love doesn't go up and down based on your performance. God's love for you is based on Jesus' performance on the cross. And he performed really, really well. Do, Do you follow me? 
Now, I know as a pastor, I'm supposed to threaten you with church attendance to control you, to try to get you here, so I can tell my other pastor friends how many people we had last Sunday. But I care more about you. I don't want to do that to you. Now, church, y'all know about, I've told you about my feelings on church attendance. Here's how I feel about church attendance. I think about church attendance the same way I think about going to the gas station. You didn't buy a car so that you could go to the gas station. You bought a car to enjoy the car, right? But if I never see you at a gas station, I'm wondering if you really have a car. In the same way, you didn't start a relationship with the Lord through the blood of Jesus so you could come to church. You come to church, you come to church because it's your filling station. It's what allows you to be able to um, use that relationship with Jesus to the best of your ability. And so it's not about showing up at the gas station all the time, hanging out, hey, look at me, I'm at the gas station, showing off my car. No, it's not about that. It's about getting filled because we all burn up our fuel, right? We all leak the presence of the Lord. So we need a infilling of the presence of the Lord. We need encouragement. We need these things. And so that's what church attendance is about. So I'm not saying don't come to church, but I'm saying make sure you're not being religious about it and trying to perform your own redemption. And if you get enough um, cards, pun- you know, holes punched on your church card, that God will be happy with you then and he'll let you go watch that movie you really want to watch. Y'all know what I'm talking? Y'all acting so holy right now. You're like, we don't know what you're... We have no idea. I don't, I don't know. What, what's this guy? Come on. There is this idea. There's this idea. You know, man, I, I've just got to call my mom. If I don't call my mom, God's going to be mad at me. Well, call your mama. But call your mama because you love her, not because you think God's some cosmic puppet master up there that's going to be, like, mad at you and throwing lightning bolts at you because you didn't call your mom. I know that's a silly example, but we think that way. We think that we think God is out to get us when we don't do stuff, when we don't follow the rules. There's this nagging feeling in the back of our minds that God is somehow mad at us. And so what we want to do to somehow placate him and, and make sure that he's not mad at us all the time is we got to follow the law, we got to follow the rules. The problem is, is the law and the rules are contrary to our nature, and that's what God has redeemed us from. So we're going back to the very thing going back to the very store of bondage that God went to to purchase us, which was the law. Does that make sense? So a lot of people, a lot of Christians, well-meaning Christians, get hung up on the rules. I I know people who are still trying to follow the Old Testament law. They think it's making God happy. When Scripture clearly says that the law, it says this in Galatians, that the law was a tutor to bring us to Christ. In other words, it was a temporary stopgap measure. The law is duct tape. Right? Something's not working right in your house, slap a little duct tape on it. It'll fix it for a little bit. Okay? The law, the Old Testament, was duct tape. It was never meant to be the full fix. Jesus is the full fix. And so you can't, you can't, you can't follow the law. You can't embrace the duct tape because it was just temporary. It just shows you, hey, something's broken. You see the duct tape on it? Something's broken. That needs to be fixed. That's the purpose of the law is to let you know that you need a Savior. Okay? All right? So... Here's the problem with redemption. 
I'm going to give you two problems. First of all, it's rooted in guilt and shame. The, the, the idea of redemption, that I am the currency that God uses to purchase uh, me, that, that my good works are, are what God is looking for, is that it's rooted in guilt and in shame. Um, now, let me explain those words. Guilt is a feeling of regret regarding what you've done. Guilt is a feeling of regret regarding what you have done. If they only knew what I did, whew, they wouldn't accept me at that church. Shame is different. Shame is even worse. Shame is a feeling of regret about who you are. If they only knew who I was, they wouldn't let me in that building. And the enemy uses guilt and shame to keep us separate and to keep us um, vulnerable to the attack of the enemy. But guilt and shame have no, have no part in the life of a believer. Romans chapter 8 verse 1. Um, this is a crazy passage. I just absolutely love it. Um, the, the previous chapter Paul is talking about how he wants to do the right thing and can't seem to do it. Um, and he says, oh my gosh, who is going to save me from this? And he goes, Jesus. Jesus is the answer. The blood of Jesus is the currency that the Father used to purchase us. Okay? And so he, he starts the next chapter out, and he says, So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. How many of you belong to Jesus this morning? How many, how many yeah, you're trusting in him for your, okay, good, guess what, good news, good news. Your past doesn't matter. There's no condemnation. God doesn't look at you as a second-class citizen. He doesn't look at you as barely squeaking by, barely, barely making it in. Well, there's that one at the end of the line. No, no, you're all at the front of the line. You're all his favorite. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, if you're not in Christ Jesus, there's still condemnation because you're still found in your sins. You're still found guilty. You've not been purchased. You've not been redeemed. Okay? But there is no condemnation to those who belong to Christ Jesus. 1 John 1, 1, 9 says that if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin. And cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All right? You don't have to... The, the, guilt and the guilt and shame are a tactic of the enemy. Okay? It's not for you. It's not for you. It was never meant for you. God, those feelings of guilt and shame aren't meant for believers. They don't, they don't apply to people who've been redeemed. And so that's the problem with redemption. When we try to make ourselves the currency that the Father uses to accept us, you know, they're acceptable to me because they act right, because they do this, because they do that. that that's redemption. And, and it's going to lead to a life of guilt and shame. A life of guilt and shame leads to lies. It leads to inauthenticity. It, it leads to all sorts of things where we are not ourselves, where we were just playing a game. And many of us, many, maybe you still are, many of us grew up going to church hoping that no one would realize what we were really like. And playing the game and hoping that God wouldn't strike us down when we went inside the building or something like that. That's not his heart. There's no condemnation, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Here's the other reason, the other problem with redemption is that you don't qualify as your own redeemer. You don't qualify as your own redeemer. Now remember... You've got to have someone who's redeeming. You've got to have a purchaser. You have, to be some, you have to have something that's being purchased. And then you have to have currency in order to purchase, right? Those are the three things necessary for redemption, okay? 
All right, so here's the problem. You don't have enough money. (laughs) You don't have enough currency. The goodness, the righteousness within you, your good works, your ability to act right and follow the rules is not enough. I mean, if, 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 if it costs 100 bucks, you've only got 20. You simply don't have enough currency to make that redemption process happen. That's why redemption doesn't work. You don't, besides the fact, not only do you not have enough money, you don't even have the right kind of money. If we go down to any store here in Thomasville and you try to use the German mark or the Italian lira or the peso or any other form of currency from another country, they're not going to accept it because it's not the accepted currency for this area. The acceptable currency for redemption was blood. And it had to be righteous blood, something that none of us have. And so that's why Jesus is the only available currency. His blood is the only thing that can redeem us. Let's look at 1 Peter. First Peter chapter 1. We're going to read 18 and 19. It says, For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life that you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, the ransom, which which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. Man, you don't even possess enough money or the right kind of money to be your own redemption. It's only found in Jesus. It's only found in Jesus. Redemption doesn't work. You can't be good enough to make God happy enough with you to save you. You have to trust in the blood of Jesus. It's called faith. You trust in him. And some of you have been wondering this whole time, but don't you have to act right? Yeah, you do. You do. But you act right after you've been redeemed and you've been empowered by the Holy Spirit to act right. If you try to act right before the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, you've got what we call dead works. And you're not going to do it right anyway. So, yeah, we do act right. But we act right because God has empowered us to. Amen? Amen. I want to tell you a story um, before we're done here. I was reading about this, there's this interesting story. In 1829, there was a guy named George Wilson. And he was condemned to to die for, get this, for robbing the United States mail. Okay, there's still kind of like the Wild West outlaws. There's some serious stuff going on. He held a knife up to the mail carrier, you know. So they they convicted him, and uh, he was sentenced to hanging. Well, George Wilson had some pretty powerful friends and family. And at the time, Andrew Jackson was the president of the United States. So they went to Andrew Jackson and they said, we're asking for a presidential pardon for George's life. Will you please pardon him and let him go and allow him um, to be free, to be a free person? So Andrew Jackson said, yeah, I will. I'm going to grant a presidential pardon uh, for George Wilson for this act. So he, he won't be hanged. Well, the problem was... 
is that Wilson refused the pardon. So he's sitting there in jail, waiting to be hanged. The president of the United States has granted him a pardon. So they go to him and they say, okay, um, you've been pardoned. He's like, well, I'm not going. They're like, what are you talking about? He's like, no, I deserve to die. And so they say, well, you, you, you can't not accept a presidential pardon. Like, it's the, what are you talking about? He goes, I'm not doing it. So it actually went to the Supreme Court. This instance of whether or not you could reject, choose to reject your own presidential pardon. It went to the Supreme Court. And Chief Justice John Marshall wrote, uh, wrote and said, a pardon is of no effect until it's accepted by the one for whom it is intended. And George Wilson was allowed to reject his pardon, and he was hanged. How many of us are rejecting the pardon of the Lord? He's, he's, he's already paid the price. He's already said, the blood of my son has paid, has redeemed you, has bought you, has translated you from darkness to life. You've been bought so you can be set free. How many of us are still sitting in the jail cell this morning saying, no, I don't deserve that? Here's my final question to you. Are you trying to purchase your own redemption this morning? Are you trying to be good enough, work hard enough, be smart enough in order to be redeemed by the Father? I've got good news and bad news. The bad news is you don't qualify as your own redeemer. You don't have the right kind of currency or enough. But here's the good news. Jesus qualified you. You've been pre-qualified. Just like those credit card offers in the mail. You're pre-qualified to give us your money. Yeah, you've been pre-qualified by the Lord to receive his mercy his goodness and his grace. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's stand for prayer.